can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. Hey folks, Peter here. Welcome to Mondays Down Under on the Talking Pools podcast, where I seek to give my perspectives on the pool industry and being a pool technician in Perth, Western Australia. I'm flying solo today. You'll love this. City council workers were doing work on the electrical infrastructure under our street and in the process managed to cut off all the internet cables to a large part of our suburb. So my week is going to be filled with dealing with three separate, at least three separate government departments, watching them all point the figure at each other for liability and responsibility to repair. It's quite amazing how dependent we become on technology such as the internet. When I think back almost 30 years ago when I started in this industry, you know, fax machines were the go. Email was rare. A smartphone. Every day, I look at my smartphone countless times for emails, messages, scheduling. My photometer that I use for water testing connects via Bluetooth to my smartphone to record all of the customer pool information. So uh, how the world has changed. It's very, very much cooling off here at the moment. Uh, We had a, a warm summer. It didn't really hit 40 degrees that I know of in the city here. A couple of the northeast and outskirts a little bit inland of the metropolitan area, they did hit 40 a couple of times, but a fairly mild summer. This morning I woke up to 4 degrees Celsius. It's about 39 Fahrenheit. Daytime temperatures at the moment are hovering around high teens, very low 20s. That's about the high 60s in Fahrenheit. So not nearly as cold as many of you listening will experience over winters in your parts of the world, but it's about as cold as it gets here. What this means is over the last couple of weeks, I've had an increased number of customers ask me if I'll come out and winterize their pool. I hate the term winterize. I really do, because it's open to such a wide range of interpretations. For me, winterizing is what some of you folks do in the cold climates where you do shut the pool down and drain equipment and so forth. There are some exceptions. Some people, very few, heat their pools through the winter and keep their pools at a fairly high temperature. That's expensive to do here. Uh, The heat pumps that are sized for our areas are normally based on a seven to nine month swim season, so it'll extend each end of the season out. Gas heaters will run and maintain a pool during winter, uh, but they are so very expensive to run in our in our uh, our city. Also, have some customers who like swimming every day of the year in an unheated pool. Uh, to me, that is madness. I've done it before. 
Uh, some years ago, I had met some friends that were staying over here for a couple of years, originally from Norway. Husband was studying, the wife was working as a nurse to support them both during that time. And we were on our way, a group of us were on our way down, down to Bunbury, a couple of hours south of the city. And they stopped in, because we were getting there early, they all stopped at my swimming pool display centre, when I used to be a pool and spa builder. And we all jumped into a heated spa, I guess it was about 38 Celsius, so 100 odd Fahrenheit. And then this bloody Norwegian had the idea of saying, let's jump in one of the pools outside. So being young and stupid, we all jumped out of the spa, ran up, jumped into the pools. It was like a thousand knives ice. It was shocking. And we're all there in absolute shock. That's the best way I can describe it except for this bloody Norwegian who had a big smile on his face saying, see, it's wonderful, it's good for you. No, Andreas, I don't think it is good for us. I, I really, really don't. On a side note, I have had a lot of people, an increased number of people, talk about ice baths recently uh, for after sports training or they just say it makes them feel better and invigorated. So I've had a fair few people ask for heat pumps with a cooling function. Done a couple of them. You also find the first one of those I did was actually for a customer some years ago who wanted it. He was a long-distance ocean swimmer, and he was training to swim the English Channel. He wanted to acclimatize himself with cold water. And I explained to him, well, if you want to cross the Channel, you realize that local flights for that area are fairly cheap. There's a tunnel that goes under the water. You can get a boat. But no, he was adamant on swimming. Uh, again, madness, in my opinion. So people aren't using their pools anymore. A lot of them will say, can you winterize the pool? The problem is that they think that means the pool will be set up for winter so they don't need to provide it or have any maintenance on the pool over the winter. After all, nobody's swimming in it. It doesn't matter. They miss the whole point of maintaining the water. Now, apart from temperature. In fact, even possibly more than the temperature differences we get here, the biggest factor to consider is rainfall. Our summers can be long and dry and hot, and we can often get well over half an inch of evaporation each day. So what happens there? Pure water is evaporating off, leaving the chemicals and compounds in the water and because of the evaporation, it's slightly more concentrated. The pool is then topped up, and the source water for filling the pool up again is generally from the civic water supply, steam water. And that brings in a certain amount of compounds with it. Uh, alkalinity, calcium that the water supply uses to balance their water, although it's never up to the same saturation index standards that we would use in pools. There's a bit of copper, typically from the pipes leading into the pool. As they corrode bit by bit over years. And that means we've got a general upwards trend in those factors copper, alkalinity, calcium. Sometimes phosphates are in the water. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. There seems to be no consistency with that. So we're fighting a battle of keeping TDS and levels down. 
In wintertime, we get very little evaporation, but we do get a fair bit of rainfall. So we're not finding pure water leaving the pool, increasing the concentration of these compounds. We're finding rainwater, effectively pure water, diluting these concentrations. So for that reason, this time of year, as we're looking towards the first heavy rainfalls, I tend to keep my levels at the upper, some of my levels at the upper end of the acceptable balanced, uh, balanced levels and, and individual compound levels. For example, total alkalinity, general consensus here is we want it between 80 to 120, sometimes 80 to 160. In wintertime here, I lane for 100 to 120. If it's not a regular service, I'll often scoot it up a bit to about 140. Knowing that, the rainwater is going to dilute it back down again. Calcium, same thing. If I've got a rendered pool or a tiled pool with grout, I don't want that to be dissolved by the water. So rather than sticking to the normal 200 to 400 acceptable range, I'll normally keep it around 300, maybe 350 to 400. Again, it allows me a bit of leeway if the rain comes and dilutes all that. Cyanuric, I'm not actually concerned about typically at this time of year. The reason is 95% of our pools are saltwater chlorinated. These chlorinators, if properly sized, should have the capacity to produce more than is needed this time of year. And that brings me to a very important point, chlorine levels. This time of year, as the water in the pool cools down quite a lot, we're finding there's decreased chlorine demand. A couple of reasons for that that I've identified. Partially, colder water isn't so conducive to the growth of algae, bacteria, or other microorganisms. So less chlorine is being consumed by this. Secondly, there's a reduced bather load, unless you're one of these crazy Norwegians that I know. Reduced bather load significantly reduces chlorine consumption, particularly in summertime when people have big parties every weekend, get the neighbourhood kids around and you've got 10 kids and three dogs all swimming and peeing in the pool. Chlorine levels can often spike up, and it's a major problem on monthly service accounts, which is the norm here. Weekly would be so much better, but it is what it is. So one important thing to do is look at the system. If you've got a salt system, it may have a winter mode function. Uh, a lot of the better chlorinators have winter mode, which reduces the amount of chlorine output. Now, the unfortunate thing with that, some of them will reduce it by 50%, some by 25%. Some you can adjust the output in winter mode. There's no formula for working out exactly how much chlorine a pool will require on any given day or any given week or month or year. There's just no accurate fault in your for it because there are too many variables. So what I like to do there is test it. Duh, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Test it and adjust it. You also don't know if the chlorinator is producing as it says it is. There's a lot of discrepancy. I did a test once where I got two identical make and model chlorinators, stuck them in water, that two separate tanks, the water was 
absolutely identical chemically. I know this because it all came from a pool. It was tested, chlorinators ran. Within a couple of days, one had about 20% more chlorine than the other. So there is some variation on that. Other factors can exist. What's the quality of the chlorinator cell? As a pool gets old or as a cell gets older, it will typically produce less chlorine. When it gives up the ghost completely, then you know it's time to replace. So this is the time of year when more than any other time, I pull out sodium thiosulfate to reduce chlorine levels, as I say, particularly on a monthly service account. Now, this brings me to a couple of other points. Cyanurate, I'm not normally concerned with this time of year. Chlorinators should have enough capacity to produce more than enough chlorine. So unless there are particular extenuating circumstances, I don't mind the cyanurate level dropping this time of year to be brought back up in the in the, uh, the spring and summer. Another problem I do see is with pool covers, and I'm talking the bubble blanket type covers here. A lot of people want their pool winterized. I go out and do it. I explain proper use of a cover over winter, which in my opinion is often don't, unless you're trying to maintain temperature. There's very, very little reason to keep using your bubble blanket over the winter. They'll ignore it, cover up the pool. Three months later in the spring, they'll call me and say, I've just taken the cover off my pool. After three months, to which I say, how green is it? A couple of things happen with the cover. First of all, chloramines can't vent and UV light can't break them down. So you can have a high chlorine level, but with high chloramines in the water, a lot of that chlorine is consumed. So it often needs a, a good shock treatment. Now, by shock, as I discussed with Shane and Andrea a few episodes ago, by shock, I mean oxidizing chloramines and other impurities in the water, not just adding chlorine. The other thing is people will often put their blanket on their pool so that it stops dirt leaves, flowers, all that sort of stuff landing in the pool. I actually normally find it easier to get this stuff off the bottom of the pool, especially if the skimmer and circulation are working correctly. All they need to do is empty the baskets once every however often. That's often easier than trying to get this stuff off a blanket, especially if it dries out and sticks to it and leaves a stain, uh, which they're never happy with. The primary reason for having a bubble blanket on a pool where I am in the world, is to reduce evaporation in summertime. Manufacturers claim it can reduce evaporation by up to 97%. That may be gilded in the lily a little bit, but there's def definitely a significant decrease in evaporation with a blanket. In the wintertime, you don't need that. So I'd never use my blanket during the winter. The other thing, when the pool is covered, the customer, the homeowner, can't see the water. So by leaving the blanket off, they can tell very quickly if something's turning with the pool and then contact us to sort it out if they've stopped the regular service for the colder months. So blankets, not a big fan. And this brings me to the elephant in the room. Chemicals labelled as winterizer, over here anyway, are typically copper sulphate. Now, copper can be useful both as an algae side and an algae stat. 
I consider it more of a double-edged sword. It must be dealt with very, very carefully because all sorts of things can go wrong if the copper level gets too high. So make sure that you know the concentration of the copper sulfate blend you're adding to the pool. Make sure you calculate exactly how much you need. Don't go over. I like to keep my copper levels at around 0.2 to 0.3 parts per million, never above 0.5. Higher than that, I've seen them at one part per million or higher. It can be problematic. It's just so reactive with things like sodium bicarb, calcycloid, um, cyanurates, other compounds that are in the water. Now, there is a product here that I hate, absolutely despise the bloody thing. And it's a particular brand of copper sulfate tablets that are designed apparently to put into the skimmer box. And when it's fully dissolved, you put another one in. And when that's fully dissolved, you replace it with yet another and infinite. These things cause so many problems. And I've been to pools where they've used these things for often many years. The copper levels can be 1, 1.5, 2 parts per million. And it's starting to cause staining. Older saltwater systems, before they were all self-cleaning, you can often find that copper plates, the chlorinator cell. Just remember, any compound, any mineral, any metal, anything at all in that water, including the water itself, that passes through that electrolytic cell is subject to electrolysis. Everything. Electrolysis used to be used, and still is, I believe, for plating metals. So when you see something gold-plated, there's a fair chance electrolysis was used for that. So what happens when there's too much copper in the water? You get a copper-plated cell. They go into the pool shop, or get the tech out, the tech says, oh, you need a new cell, this one's stuffed. Put a new cell in, you've still got that copper in the water that's still going to plate the new cell. So it's kind of like a revolving door. And once people use these copper tablets, they're often very reluctant to stop because, yeah, their pools don't have an algae problem. The water is often very clear. You can never trust clear water. When I get to a customer's place, a first-time customer, and the water is amazingly clear, the first thing I say is, gee, that water's really clear. I don't trust it. And carry on with a full set of tests. 99% of the time, the water chemistry is out in a number of, a number of ways. So, look, the copper tablets you put into the skimmer, I'm not a fan at all. I don't think they should ever be used. I was looking at a uh, homeowners group recently, and there was one guy, obviously not a pool professional, and he said, oh, to add copper, wouldn't it be cheaper if I just got a piece of copper pipe a couple of inches long and sat it in the skimmer box? No, don't do that. Stay away from copper unless you know what you're doing with the stuff. But that's my advice to all homeowners and pool owners. Now, as the weather cools down and water the point as rainfall here is about to increase, there are a couple of other pieces of advice I give to hormones and a couple of other things I do for. First of all, especially on a new pool install, 
I always check that the equipment's been properly installed. So often I've seen the control unit for a salt chlorinator and the electrical power points, sockets if you will, installed too close to the ground. Now, if we get the very heavy rain, which we often do, this rain can hit the ground, bounce up, and put water and often dirt and gunk in the underside of the chlorinator, which is where most of the cables go in. So there are manufacturers who actually void warranties if it's been installed too low down. Better to adjust that before there's a problem than have to deal with a problem afterwards. You don't want to be the between a rock and a hard place being the customer and the pool builder if you're a service tech saying, hang on, this buggered up because the last guy didn't do it right. I also encourage them to have a licensed electrician to do a check, make sure everything that could possibly be in the rain is sound, that is appropriately rated for water resistance for its application and its position in which it's installed. I also go through and check things like seals on equipment. One problem I've seen many times is the control panel on variable speed and multi-speed pumps. Quite often, the little flimsy lid on top of them snaps off. The homeowners either use too much force or tried to open it the wrong way and broken it. So you've got this panel exposed to the elements. And in heavy rain, it allows the ingress of water into, depending on the model again, the capacitors that are in the top there, into the board that's in the top there, uh, sometimes into just generally wiring. And of course, the last thing you want is always getting in there. It's also a very good idea to check anything else, like the seal on any control boxes, your salt system, you light transform yourself, autofill, anything like that. Another good idea appropriate any time of the year, get them to clean up the leaf debris and any other rubbish sitting around the pool equipment. Uh, especially if the equipment is covered, that can stay dry for a very long time. And the last thing you want is a random spark or an overheating pump to cause it to start a fire. I mentioned very early on, I think it was my first episode I ever reported for this podcast, our, our trees that are native to this part of the world often have a very high oil content. And when they dry out, it's like a fire starter. And it, it burns unbelievably fast. So a little bit of safety there for, uh, for people. I'm hoping there's been some benefit to you from this. I hope that as you do approach winter down in the Southern Hemisphere... I hope that things are uh, good to you. Hope you maintain cash flow with customers postponing service and the like. Hope you're not suffering too many delays from rain and lightning and so forth. And for those of you up in the Northern Hemisphere, for those in the USA, happy Memorial Day. Uh, I don't know if it's appropriate to say happy, but I hope it's a meaningful uh, experience for you all. Uh, I hope you didn't get beaten up too badly in the lead up to it. I hope that your summer that you're leading into up there is good for you. Hope you're not overworked. Hope you are profitable. And most of all, I hope you are all safe. So stay safe out there. Have a great week.
I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 